Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. This is the Awesomers Podcast number 20, everybody. Uh, to find all the show notes and details about this episode, just go to awesomers.com slash 20. That's awesomers.com slash 20 to see all the particulars about this episode. Today, my special guest is Hugh Taylor, the president of economypr.com. Now, Hugh, over the years, has created marketing content for clients like Microsoft, IBM, Google, Oracle, and many others. Uh, he's also been a public relations manager for Microsoft SharePoint Technologies. In fact, Hugh was responsible for generating the billion-dollar juggernaut story that helped make SharePoint a high-profile pro product for Microsoft, generating over 800 pieces of press coverage in just a single year. Hugh is a certified information security manager as well and lecturer at University of California Berkeley's Law School and Graduate School of Information. He's authored books, he's done so many things, but most of all, he's consulted with dozens of entrepreneurs and crafted business plans that help these new ventures get funded. Hugh graduated with honors from Harvard in 1988 and his MBA from Harvard in 1992. Today, he lives in Cleveland, Ohio. One of my favorite things about Hugh is he's extraordinarily well-educated, he's very articulate, he's a brilliant writer, but he brings all of those skills to bear for awesomers and entrepreneurs that maybe are not as big as Microsoft or Oracle or Google. He remembers uh, you know, how these little guys get started and he's a passionate player about helping companies go from where they are to where they wanna be. And I'm uh, thrilled to have you on the show today. Hey everybody, welcome back to awesomers.com podcast. Uh, we're thrilled to have you here today. And today we have a very special guest, Hugh Taylor. How are you, Hugh? Terrific. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Oh, certainly. It's a pleasure. And uh, I've known Hugh for a couple of years. We're going to talk about that and, and uh, what makes him an awesomer as we go here. Uh, but tell, tell us where you live uh, right now, Hugh. I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. Ohio's I'm the with... United States, everybody. Yes. United it's States in the America. middle. It's, we call it the flyover part of the country. Is that That's fair right. to say? Yes. It's, but it's the home of LeBron James and the Cavaliers. Well, there you go. There's yeah. still, still something. Now, uh, I'm not a sports fan. Update me on the uh, the outcome of the latest uh, finals. Well, unfortunately, the Cavaliers lost the NBA championship uh, in four games in a row. So it's not not been a great year, but uh, we're still excited. 
Well, that's good. I like that. That's a very uh, peppy attitude. Uh, so, uh, so now we know where you're from. Uh, can you just summarize kind of what your business does and uh, the types of things that uh, you know take up your time day to day for the audience? Yes, um, I am a, essentially a freelance writer, but I'm very specialized. I do content creation. I do like I write um, web content and other kinds of collateral, like white papers, press releases, case studies, articles. Uh, for companies that want to increase their web presence or do marketing. A lot of what I do is aimed at helping tech companies sell technology solutions, like I've done work for Microsoft and some of the other big companies um, where they're pitching you know, multi-million dollar solutions and they want to have written materials that back up their value proposition. So I write a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, a very uh, specialized industry, that one. Uh, lots of details. Uh, and I can't wait to dive in a little bit more about that. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, but before we dive in the, uh, the, the main q and I want to just tease up the audience. We're going to get into uh, Hugh's origin story here in just a minute. First, we're going to talk to our sponsors and hear what they have to say, and then we'll be right back. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals. This is Parsimony ERP, and we get one question over and over. Can you please tell me exactly what Parsimony does? Well, we'll try, but this is only a 30-second spot, so we're going to have to hurry. Connect to your Seller Central account and pull all the new orders. Enter the orders with all customer data. Enter all of the Amazon fees and store them at the item level. Generate profit and loss reports at the S. Automatically generate income statements. Handle multiple companies. Handle multiple brands. And facilitate budgets and forks. Store all the customer interactions in a sophisticated CRM system. Manage your supply chain. Hey, you get it. That's parsimony. P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y dot com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back, everybody. And we're talking with Hugh Taylor. And we're going to dig into his origin story a little bit here. And uh, first of all, Hugh, I'd like to start with where were you born? Um, I, I was born in New York City. I, I grew up in Scarsdale, New York, which is a, uh, a fancy suburb of New York City. And um, I had a very uh, privileged upbringing. Um, I think I was fortunate. Uh, my, my parents were, were well off. I was sent to very good schools. And, um, you know, found myself um, look, uh, coming out of Harvard Business School in 1992 and going into television, which I worked in for a couple of years, doing uh, uh, TV movies and miniseries. I was a script development executive. I would look for true crime stories to turn into TV movies, which was, I think, good good training for enterprise software sales and marketing. I would call up anybody for any reason. <laughs> and, you know, I, I had a zero shame. I would be calling people up like, oh, I'm so sorry your sister got murdered yesterday, but we can make a movie about it if you like on ABC. And, you know, it's it that kind of thing. Um, but I, I, so I burnt out of that after a while. It was a little too much. Boy, I can imagine the burnout, but uh, just just for uh, the the audience's benefit and my own, uh, honestly, um, perhaps it's morbid curiosity, but as a as a producer of those shows, you would actually call somebody who had the recent tragedy and then yes. the show idea. Yes, you'd have to say, you know, we'd like to buy your life story rights and turn it into a movie, you know, like a, a ABC Sunday night movie kind of thing or uh, so we did. I was working for a producer. We did a lot of those and it was fun and creative and it actually provided a good a foundation for a lot of the work I do now, which is, you know, like when I worked at Microsoft, for example, my challenge was to make Microsoft Office interesting to the reporters. And I said, like, well, hey, you know, 
if I can make Jacqueline Smith believable as a neurosurgeon, I can make Microsoft Office interesting. <laughs> yes, uh, that a uh, high high challenges both. Uh, so th- as you so you were born in uh, New York, and uh, it sounds like uh, you know parents are well to do. What what did your parents do, uh, if anything, for a living? My, um, both my parents are doctors. Uh, my father's no longer alive, but my my father was an eye doctor. My mother was a neurologist. Um, my brother's a psychiatrist, so between the three of them, um, I'm all set medically. But um, yeah, I was I was I had a lot of positive role models for education and hard work in my life. Uh, my father, um, you know, grew up poor down south and um, was a, a hero, a war hero in World War II, and um, went to medical school in the GI Bill and was very successful. So you know, I was was brought up with admiration for uh, hard work and. Uh, you know, pursuing goals in an organized, disciplined way. Um, so that that more or less paid off for me uh, as my career, career progressed. But the country had changed a little bit, and the kind of opportunities that you ran into um, were different from what my parents experienced coming up. And my mother, also for her own self, was a her own sake was was a pioneering woman. She was one. Of, she was she was the only woman in her medical school class. In Oxford University in 1959, I'll give you an idea, you know. Um, and so she became a neurologist. It was unusual at that time for a woman to go into that kind of specialty. So she was also someone who taught me, like, you know, don't just do what everyone else is doing. Don't be afraid to be different and pursue things, even if people are signaling to you that it'll never work. So, and she's a great example of that. Well, that is fascinating. I definitely think that there's uh, some good lessons there. You know, the the fact that. You know, in 1959, you know, a woman, uh, you know, pops over to Oxford and decides, hey, I'm going to be a neurologist. Uh, I'm sure that they weren't like, oh, yeah, come on over. Let, have a great time. We're going to really make this easy on you. Uh, There's probably a lot of opposition at that time. I, th- I think it was difficult. I mean, she wasn't the first woman to go to that school, but it just like it wasn't done. It wasn't it wasn't a normal thing. Now, you know, women are frequently become doctors. In fact, in 1964, my brother was in nursery school. They said does your mother work? And she said, yes. He said, yes, she's a doctor. And they said, no, no, sweetie, she's a nurse. (laughs) Well, it's, it's nice of them to help him out. That's, that's really the key. Uh, you know, (laughs) so, so uh, pushing past all of that, uh, and after you, uh, went through Harvard, uh, by the way, how did you like the Harvard experience? Well, you know, uh, I went to Harvard undergrad and business school. Undergrad was a great education, a little bit perplexing in a sort of social and like existential way, but I learned a lot there. Business school was was really a great experience. I learned a lot and made some good friends and uh, they're really good in the whole like, you know, get psyched, everything's going to be great, you know, you're going to be really successful kind of attitude. And then when it doesn't happen, you're still like, hey, it's I'm still great, right? Why not? What's happening? It's not happening anyway. But um, uh, it was it was a good experience and it, it set me up well. Uh, for working in this field of help, you know, like for example, if I'm if I'm helping a company like Hewlett Packard or IBM sell a, a multi-million dollar technology, I have to understand the buyer's mindset, what they're going to get out of it on a return on investment basis. And so, having the MBA and some finance background helps me make the pitch, and you know, and I can sort of speak the management language to them. Uh, so it's been great for that. 
Boy, it's a it's one of those lessons that the Osbers uh, out there listening should pay attention to, which is, hey, what if you actually cared what the customer thought about what you're you're, you're making? <laughs> Too often we think about what we want to brag about or these uh, features, and uh, really the customer is largely interested in benefits, is my uh, impression. Uh, so I think that's a, a job well learned. So when you start, as you are working for these very large companies, we're talking about Fortune 50 companies. Uh, right. You know, was there was there any defining moment that put you on the road that you're on today? And we'll talk a little bit more about your freelance stuff. But was there anything that kind of you know helped steer the the ship that direction? Well, yes, and and it wasn't entirely positive. I I um, it it took me a long time to figure this out, um, but I eventually came to the realization that I wasn't good at managing other people. And, and that I, in fact, was very deficient in almost any kind of organizational relationships. And I don't know why that is, but I just, it was just reality. And I couldn't excuse it away anymore. Um, I was constantly messing up situations with teams and assignments and this and that. But anytime I did anything sort of creative where it's say, hey, if you write a blog for us, or everybody's like, well, wow, that's awesome. That's the best. You know, so I'm thinking, well, maybe I should have more of that in my life and less of that. Well, you, you know, things could be better. So and that and then and then as I got to be a middle aged person in corporate America, I began to experience some of the downside of the way the business um, uh, business world was going. And I got laid off from IBM when I was 44 years old and, you know, ended up with sort of like you know, in a panic, and I made a decision, and that was in 2009, and I said, I'm never going to be in this position again. I do not want to be out of work with, you know, three children, a house, and a wife who doesn't work, and just have nothing going on. So I started to do freelancing on the side just to kind of nurture. It took a couple of years. Um, so it was, it was partly a uh, negative kick in the butt, uh, but also a realization that I could do I could do something that I was good at and get rewarded for it financially and emotionally and not have to deal with what I wasn't good at, which was, you know, being executive. Boy, this is, a, again, one of those times where uh, people need to pay attention. So, you know, lightning bolts come. Uh, that's what happens, uh, whether it's IBM laying you off or some other unexpected uh, happening uh, or circumstance. The, the reality is what you do with it and how you deal with it. And I, I really do agree that focusing on your strengths, you know, I regularly talk about the, the book Strengths-Based Leadership and kind of identifying what those strengths that are kind of wired into each person are and then pursuing those strengths because it, it really can feel like torture to put yourself in a position uh, where you have to focus on weaknesses and focus on things that you don't like. And in our culture, in our society, often, you know, if we come – uh, home from school and we say, hey, I got five A's and one F. Everybody's like, hey, what's going on with the F, right? That, that's just how the mindset is in, uh, in this country. Instead of going, wow, you're so awesome at these other things, you know, uh, maybe you don't need to worry about the, that gym class or that, you know, whatever class uh, as much. So I, I love the idea that you decided to focus on your strengths. And how did that freelancer journey get started for you? Um. Well, you know, like I was saying, I was doing I was doing some of this work already in my regular job. The, the, the initial thing was I was working as a VP of marketing communication at a venture-backed software startup, and they said, we need leads, but we have no money. <laughs> okay, that sounds familiar. Like, oh, yeah. So I was I'm like, well, I guess I can't just sit around and look handsome all day like I normally do. You know, I, I, I um, 
So I, I had to start writing white papers that could be um, registered, you know, downloadable upon registration, like, you know, register, give us your email address uh, in exchange for a paper. So I started writing them myself because we didn't have any money for writers. And but that was the beginning of it. And and so I was also in charge of lead generation at this company. And so I, I, I was in the whole process, you know, write the paper, publish it, get the leads, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was the beginning of it. And then I began to realize, well, you know, people might pay me for this. Um, so <laughs> I did it, you know, a little bit on the side with non-competing companies. And, um, and you know, I, there were, it was a, you know, up, up and down kind of process. Like, you know, I, was, I liked the story. I still kind of shudder when I think of this, but I, 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 I took on, a, I was taking on assignments. I wanted to, my approach was let's build up a, a portfolio of examples of work I've done, then I can show it and get more work. So I wanted to, so I took on a lot of assignments and I, I wrote a 150 page software manual for $9,900, which was like wow. torture. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, and I, and I don't do manuals anymore. I mean, I will if I absolutely have to, but I don't, but it was just like, okay, let's make a start. We got to start somewhere. Um, and I had some ups and downs. I mean, I, I had a project with a, a freelance, with a major client where I didn't see, I didn't understand how these big companies work. That's why it's valuable to have had the experience, even though I didn't like it, but I was working, I was told to write something by this very big company. And they said, this is what we want you to write, X, Y, Z. And I said, I thought about it, I researched, I came back, I said, you know, I think you really might want to try it a little bit differently. And they said, no, and you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, okay. I got it. So, and, and but what's funny is now having been on the other side of that table, just knowing how long it gets takes them to organize their plan, they don't want someone like me coming and saying, "Hey, why don't you something different?" They don't want it, at that point. They don't want it different. Even if it's wrong, they don't want it different. So that's the I've learned now to. I mean, I'm, I still might make suggestions, but this idea that I will presume to you know restate the uh, Oracle uh, you know mark go to market plan like it just I recognize that's not. What they're asking me to do. Well, it's a it's a uh, a Glenn Gary Glenn Ross moment right there. Right? The good news is you're fired. Uh, and right. The bad news is we don't like your work either. <laughs> so yeah, you know the reality is um, you know big companies they have those agendas. They already have politics behind many of those decisions and outcomes and committees and this and that. Whether they're right or wrong is a, a completely different story. And so that that could be a, a, a real pain. I imagine that the startup world is different than that. Uh, the the smaller clients probably seek your counsel and, and your opinions. Yes, it's it's very different. And there it's the opposite problem, which is they're almost in like unstructured or undisciplined. And um, so having been on both sides of that was helpful. Like, you know, like when I worked in venture backed software companies, you know, that have a meeting and say, oh, we need a new feature. Let's develop. It'll be out next week. At IBM, a new feature. Once they make a new feature, they commit to supporting it for five to ten years in the market. So they don't just like dash off a feature. It's there's a and that's why they're successful because when you buy an IBM product, you know they stand behind it like crazy. So there's that sort of haphazardness. Um, but what is cool about a startup environment is you can you can be creative, or, and you can try and you can be working more on the fly. The, the difficulty in a startup often is trying to understand a value proposition for a category that doesn't may not exist yet. That is difficult because, um, you know, usually like if something's really well established, it's too late for a startup. So you have to kind of, it's like, 
hitting a moving target while you're on a moving vehicle. You know, like it's just you're you're sort of and the the trap you can fall into um, is to start inventing your own terms to describe what you do, and then you're like marketing using like a secret code that nobody understands. And um, so the, the challenge in communication is to describe in ways that are that makes sense to people. Um, so it's a it, it's it can be tricky. So let me ask you this: How many of the uh, things that you wrote were really based on the uh, the good old fashioned DAC bullshit generator that was uh, so famous on the internet? Did you ever <laughs> did you ever run across that thing? You know, I I it, it's I, I haven't I haven't used it, but I I've definitely. Um, although I'd like to think that everything I write is, you know, transcendently brilliant, but I, you definitely come fall into a, you fall into patterns of communicating about things. Um, and if you're not careful, you can be repetitious or you can start becoming like a cliche. The, the challenge, like, like you were saying earlier, is to try and understand what's on the client's mind and never, no, don't deviate too far away from that. And like when I was working with Hewlett Packard Enterprises on the web copy team, uh, as a freelancer, and I, I kept I asked the business people there always. I said, "Who is it that you want to see this page, and what do you want them to think of it in the first ten seconds?" Everything else is irrelevant. Like they would say, "Well, we want this page to appeal to engineers and salespeople and marketing people and investors." Something. No, no. Which one of those is your key, and what do you want that person to take away? Everything else is just like padding. So you have to, you know, focus on that. What do they want? What do they need? And I like to say, listen, what do they want? What do they need? What are they afraid of? If you can address those three things, then you're starting to, you know, uh, starting to get, as Alec Baldwin would say in the movie, the ABC, you're getting their attention, get their attention, you know, and then. I like this. Uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, right now, Hugh is always, uh, always be closing. Uh, he's able to right. us. And really, I think those are some, very, very important uh, key takeaways. One is, you know, you can't sell everything to everybody. Uh, that, that, you know, niching it down and focusing on who your end target uh, customers is critical. It always has been. And it's, it's truer today than ever, in my opinion. Uh, because the web can be so granular and so niche focused, your opportunity to talk to that, uh, you know, tiny audience and be really important to them is better today than maybe it's ever been, uh, from my perspective. So, uh, I, I love all of this, uh, Hugh. It's very um, instructive. Uh, it, was there was there a particular time that you were kind of going through the journey of your your own startup and your own freelance that you looked and go, you know, I'm just going to give up. And uh, you know, even though I said I'm never going back to you know the, the old way, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to you know give up what I'm doing and, and you know go backwards. Uh, did you ever give that a thought? Well, you know, there've definitely been some down moments. For the most part, it has gone pretty well. Um, what I've seen is that there's a churn of clients, you know, like the clients I had six years ago are not the same ones I have now, although some of the people are the same. They moved to different companies. But um, I, I've always had to invest in my time in building up the client portfolio. Um, but mostly it's gone pretty well. There are certain months where you start to, they've had a few months where I'm like, this isn't going to work and I don't know what I'm going to do and the, the difficulty when you get to be older and then what's weird is I don't think I'm an old person but 53 in the tech business is a little on the old side is I don't know if there is a going back there is no going back I mean I could go do something else I guess you know but like um, 
No, that's a fair point. I mean, listen, uh, the absence of alternatives means uh, we're going with plan A. Uh, and, and really, the plan is working. I, I just, I, I do think that it sounds like you've alluded to this, and I, I certainly agree, and, and everybody faces these things, which is, you know, it's like, uh, I'm nervous at this particular time or for this particular reason, uh, and you just kind of have to push those, through those things and, and make things happen. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and also what I've been doing, and you've we've actually worked on this basis, is I have a little like incubation lab going on in my office. I I have my main work, which is the tech, the big tech clients, but I have little things I do because I'm trying. I I don't want to be like in that position again where you're like, okay, you're out of business. So I have the the economy press release service. Um, I have a few other little businesses like that. Um, you know, very small, but that I could potentially grow. And then I've started a, I've just launched this in the last six months, um, an online publication called Journal of Cyber Policy, which is about cybersecurity. And so far it's a, you know, nonprofit entity. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's a tiny little blog, but what's interesting is um, I've I've had, it's been, I've been getting some traction. Um, I, I write about cybersecurity. I know a fair amount about it. And uh, publicists are reaching out to me, and um, so that could become a business. It could take a couple of years to get it off the ground, and that could be something that's different from freelancing. But based on the same core skill set, that's a what it's sort of an extension of what I'm doing. It's just in a different form, like writing articles, and then maybe doing paid, you know, sponsored content or whatever. Um, but I was recently. Uh, I got flown to a security conference to cover it as a journalist, which I'd never done before. And and then someone dropped a story in my lap. I actually had to function like a journalist, like verifying sources and getting comments and stuff. So it's been fun, but I'm always, I'm always sort of got my eye on the next thing. Yeah, that's a fascinating, but it's all leveraged on that experience, right? That, that right. <clears throat> cyber security is something that is, is uh, within your wheelhouse because of all that experience in the back. Uh, right. All right. So listen, before we uh, start wrapping up the show and, and give away some of uh, Hugh's uh, tips and tricks for uh, folks and, and tell you how to get in touch with them, we're going to take another break for our sponsors. Uh, we'll be right back. Empower. The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. All right, here we are back with Hugh Taylor, everybody. And we're going to talk now uh, about just a couple things. And maybe Hugh has uh, some advice for Awesomers out there. Uh, is there. Is there any favorite tool that you've used or maybe you continue to use uh, that helps you in your day-to-day business? Maybe it's an app. Maybe it's a Shopify plugin or some kind of web tools or anything that you really like that uh, you feel like you can't do without? Well, I have, I have been, uh, had a lot of good experiences with LinkedIn um, as a way to make contacts, but I think there's kind of an art to using LinkedIn. You have to be very low pressure on people. Um, I've also, one thing I was taught that I never would have figured out on my own is that LinkedIn is basically a search engine. And if you, uh, can build your profile in a certain way. You can be f- discovered for certain skills or services. Um, so there's oh, so that. optimizing. Uh, you're doing SEO on LinkedIn to get your uh, yes. your profile found. 
yes, I have gotten clients this way. I, I would never have believed it, but I, what, what I was told to do, which I did, was type in the search term that you want to be, then copy that the, per, the number one person's page, which I basically did. I mean, I didn't literally verbatim, but like the same key phrases, same structure. And then I began to get inquiries. I mean, it's not a lot, like maybe once a month or something, but I have built some business off it. And, um, and it's a great way to sort, and then with the cybersecurity, I can use it for like, I can from sort of link to people who are mentioned in it, makes them look important and that kind of thing. Um, no, that's uh, it. Really, is uh, this follows a classic uh, paradigm that I've used many times in the past, which we call R and D. And for those keeping score at home, uh, often people confuse R and D with research and development. But uh, I tend to use uh, the rip off and duplicate function of that uh, very important art. Um, as as you said, it, you know, he's taking inspiration from whoever's ranking number one. This is what anybody does in a search engine. If you go to Google and you want to be number one. You've got to figure out what the guys at number one are doing right. Uh, we don't copy them verbatim, as, as Hugh said, but we take inspiration. We figure out how to optimize to those results. And it doesn't matter if it's Google or LinkedIn or Amazon-sponsored products or uh, the A9 algorithm for organic on Amazon. It's all the same general principle. Figure out what your, you know, the search engines are, are showing and then figure out how to be relevant to those search engines at the end of the day. Uh, so <laughs> very good advice. Uh, so, uh, tell us a, a little bit more about Economy PR, uh, Hugh. So, Economy PR is a small business that I run where we do um, press release writing and press release distribution and blog writing and other kind of public relations services for uh, entrepreneurs, e-commerce entrepreneurs, Amazon sellers, um, nonprofits. And the idea was to offer a, you know, a, a good quality public, a press release product at, a, at an affordable price. And um, it's it's been successful. We have a number of a number of clients that use this every month, and it's a way to create backlinks and refresh your site. And um, my approach was always to write these releases, although generally they don't get read that much. They're mostly read kind of by machine. But if any, if a person did read it, it would read like a totally professional press release and have a story and something interesting in it. And um, and it's been it's been a, a you know a successful little project. It's not a big business, but um, it keeps well, me it's it really is actually a, a wonderful opportunity for you know small entrepreneurs to be able to have a you know Harvard MBA you know Fortune fifty in demand writer to to come and uh, jump onto their team for uh, you know uh, ongoing or you know whatever basis uh, that makes sense for po uh, for people. Uh, so in the world of PR, uh, as you think about it, Hugh. You, you mentioned backlinks as a benefit. Obviously, content is going to be helpful for Google to find you in the first place. Right. Uh, is that how you structure the, the PR pieces you write? Um, yes. The, 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 you know, the press release has to have, has to have an announcement of some kind. There's something new, like a new feature or a new product, something like that. And um, we then have a keyword, which we put usually into the title and into the body of it of the um, of the press release, and there's a certain format that you go through, you know, title, subtitle, opening paragraph, quote, um, and uh, it's kind of, a, it's like a template, but the trick, like a lot of things, it's, it's a template, but it shouldn't look like a template, and that was the, the, the problem we were solving was there was, there is, there was, and is a lot of low quality, low cost writing being done in places in the world where people don't really speak English very well, and in an earlier era, that was enough for Google to just have like certain words on the page. Now Google is so smart, it can actually tell, you know, 
authoritative writing from bad writing. So it's been a, a benefit to native English speakers uh, like me. And, um, and we just found that, and having been on the other side of it, like when I was at Microsoft, I had a million dollar PR budget. And if I, you know, there was the money was very flow, you know, it was everywhere. But I thought, you know, when I when I originally I started this on Fiverr about four years ago, and I thought, you know, let's try this. What the heck? And I'll, I'll write a press release for five dollars, which I don't do anymore. But that was, a, then I was like, am I crazy? I used to write speeches for Bill Gates. I'm going to write a press release for five dollars. But then I thought, yeah, let's try it. And that's kind of my advice is to be open, be open to things, try it. You know, what's the worst that could happen? You'll make four dollars. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Uh, that, you know, just, just being open is a really good piece of advice right there. And, and, you know, to have somebody who literally was writing speeches for Bill Gates, uh, then today can now help you with the press release is really something uh, interesting. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, I want to remind awesomers out there that having good quality content on your site is another form of equity. Content is equity. Uh, it helps people when they see it and they read it to understand your announcement. Uh, one of the common problems I think uh, Hugh would probably be the first to tell you is when companies, they say they want to do PR, they fail to have any news. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that is a, it's a misconception. They, 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 you need to have, reporters want something interesting to talk about. They don't want to just, you know, there has to be a story. Something has to have happened. Um, so yeah, somebody a, having a sale on their product is not newsworthy, for example. Right. Well, in a practical basis, also, the distributors are, are stopping. They're not picking those releases up anymore, just like the discount code announced or whatever. It's just they don't want that. They want something that looks like news. And sometimes there's, there's different schools of thought. Some people do like two press releases a year, and it's a big deal. Some people do one every week. So, you know, if you don't have something to say, then maybe it's better not to. But one thing we do is we can invent some stories like a milestone. We sold our 10,000th product or, you know, we got our 500th positive review. Okay, that's a story right there, you know. Um, then you can write about it. Well, see, and this is this is where somebody who has experience like you can really help guide the ship towards something that is worth telling, right? And, you know, for, for those of us who've been around a long time, we may not look at the you know, a particular milestone as something that we would make news out of. But that's exactly the kinds of things that, that uh, news organizations look for, is they want something noteworthy and something interesting uh, versus, uh, you know, uh, today, you know, we have, you know, now in red and black, you know, this, this uh, right. uh, widget we can sell you. Yeah. Right. Uh, so how can we find your business online, Hugh? Um, well, it's economypr.com. Uh, that's the best place to look, and you can see what we have there. Okay, and we will uh, we'll have that in the the show notes as well, and and any links that we've mentioned along the way uh, will uh, show up there magically. Uh, so as as we get ready to close up, uh, Hugh, do you, are there any words of wisdom that you would give to the awesomers out there who are uh, you know like any of us on the path to you know maintaining awesomer status? Uh, it's never a an end point; it's a journey. But any any words of wisdom that you might share with the audience out there? Yes, I, I would say, I know this sounds cliche, but do not give up hope. Uh, 10 or 15 years ago, I was very anxious about the state of my financial life. And I, I was honestly nervous and I had no sense that it was going to get better. And, you know, I, I'm, it, it took a lot of work, but it, I am now in a position where I make more money than I used to and I have a lower stress level than I used to. So that's pretty good. And um, I'm a little bit more in control of what I'm doing. 
And, uh, and I think that the, the key has been to be adaptable because it, things are constantly changing. Even in the field I'm in, even in the last five years, things have changed. So I have to constantly um, be, you know, shifting my, uh, keep my ears open, shifting my positioning and adapting my, my process because it's, I mean, I can't, you know, I can't do the same thing I was doing even five years ago. Uh, although it's the same core activity, but the the out the the results that people want are different. So that's that's my suggestion is to stay adaptable. Well, I tell you, uh, the the old saying that you know change is constant uh, is is truer now than ever. Uh, obviously, it was always true, uh, but it just feels more visceral today. You know the, the how algorithms change at Google constantly, how the the tweaks at Amazon are happening. You know, terms of service and and algorithms and everything else. It's all just constantly uh, changing and evolving, and without being adaptable, we're not prepared. We're just simply not prepared. Right. And if we, just for a quick example, like you know, I, I write a lot of blogs for people. So you know, five years ago, someone tell me I want a blog, I'd write it, I'd email to them, and send me a check, we'd be done. Now, almost all blogs go through these platforms where you have to plug in the keywords. They get analyzed for keyword density. You have certain links you have to put. It's a whole process in a platform. If you're not ready to learn the platform, then you're not you're not going to get the work, and so I've had to. It's not a big deal, but I've had to adjust to that. It's a different way of working. Yeah, it's you know this is again experience is really really important, uh, but being adaptable to that experience is equally important because without the the ability to change with the times and change with the the prevailing you know wisdom of SEO or whatever the case may be, you again you'll be left behind and you won't be prepared. I, I think great words of wisdom. Thank you uh, very much, Hugh, for. For yes. those words and thanks for taking the time with us today thank you so much it's uh it's been a pleasure having hugh taylor online uh, again we'll have everything in the show notes uh, economypr.com is uh the website and uh you know i definitely would uh recommend it i have used Hugh on some projects in the past and i'm a big fan he's super smart he's yeah. also uh, occasionally funny and so that's nice <laughs> thank you so much good luck it's been a pleasure uh we'll be right back uh awesomers and uh okay. more after this Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. Gosh, I just love a good awesome origin story. You know, understanding how all the pieces get put together. You know, some guys like you are super well educated and come from, you know, very rigid educated uh, background. And then other people are like no education and, you know, their their parents were against, uh, you know, them being an entrepreneur. Just so many differences. And so Osmer origin stories are always so fascinating to me and quite inspiring. I hope they are to you as well. Uh, don't forget that this is uh, awesomers.com episode number 20. And just go to awesomers.com slash 20 to see all the show notes and, you know, find the details about how to get in touch with you and, uh, and any of the things we've talked about during the show. That's awesomers.com slash 20. And why not go leave us a review uh, on iTunes or, or Android or whatever your favorite podcast uh, platform is. Those sure uh, can help us out. And don't forget to subscribe and share this with a friend as well. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. 
Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again. Awesomers.com.